Hey there, and welcome to the Smart and Simple Matters show with your host, Joel Zeslovsky. I hope you like podcast episodes in multiples because there's a lot of multi waiting for you. This is episode number 119. Hello once again, or maybe for the first time. I'm grateful that you've chosen to give me and Smart and Simple Matters a whirl around your brain. It's been fun. It's been really fun telling people I'm back now that I have two episodes under my belt after an eight-month podcasting hiatus. And who do I get to come back with? The folksy, the funky, the fantastic Emily Wapnick. Sweet sassy molassie, that and your attention make me happy. As always, I'm Goofy, and this episode is brought to you by my voice and supporters from around the world. I do not have sponsors, I just have you. So consider showing your support for me, this show, and our community at joelzeslovsky.com slash support. As you might have noticed from my newly streamlined show notes, I'm also trying to streamline other parts of the show, intros and lead-ins, for example. So although I'd enjoy telling you all about my time at Camp Good Life Project or how awesome it's been to be married to Melinda for more than 12 years now, I will fast forward this time and jump into what you are about to experience. This conversation with Emily took some twists and turns we did not expect. We know each other really well. We've been friends and now business partners for a while, and unexpected happened. For example, we got into the topic of guilt and shame, not exactly something that I typically explore publicly. I really have to say I enjoyed myself with perhaps one or two made-up games that thoroughly (laughs) amused me and may just amuse you too. The biggest chunk for you to chew comes in the form of Emily breaking down the processes, stories, and aftermath of her first traditionally published book, How to Be Everything. If you've been looking for more money, more meaning, and more variety in your work, but you're unsure how to get those things, I advise you to listen well. If you're willing to try some different work models that actually work for multi-potentialites, also known as people with a diversity of interests, skills, and creative outlets, we will bring you four of them and see how they apply to your circumstances. You're in for a dandy of a chat. Here we go. Emily Wapnick is a writer, career coach, blogger, and community leader. She's the founder and creative director at PuttyLike.com and The Putty Tribe, where she helps multi-potentialites, people with many passions and creative pursuits, integrate all of their interests to create dynamic, fulfilling, and fruitful careers and lives. Unable to settle on one path herself, Emily studied music, art, film production, and law, graduating from the law faculty at McGill University. If you don't know her from our last episode together, you may know her from her TED Talk that's been viewed almost 5 million times, or her book, How to Be Everything, a guide to those who still don't know what they want to be when they grow up. She's also my friend and a super duper business partner. Welcome to the show again, Emily. Thanks so much for having me, Joel. I'm super excited to be back. Woohoo! It's been years. Years. It has. It's fun that... I've been podcasting long enough, and you've been puttying long enough that we can have part two of some similar themes, but in a very different direction. We Mm -hmm. and the communities and the topics that we've been in have evolved significantly since that original chat. And I just want to make a note for people who are like, Emily, who's this at multi-putt? What? For people who have no idea what we're talking about, I'm actually going to skip something that I typically do, which is called the Seeds of Awesomeness, to talk more about your background, your youth growing up. We did that in our last episode. 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to link to it in the show notes to this episode so that people can get some of the backstory. I would really like us to focus on your current awesomeness, which I can say is ample from firsthand <laughs> experience. And I know it's now been months since you published your first traditionally published book, How to Be Everything. What kind of a wild ride has that been like? Yeah, um, it's it's been pretty nuts, but it was sort of a continuation of a couple crazy years. I mean, between the TED Talk and getting married and writing a book and then launching the book, it just felt like I was already on this crazy train and it picked up a little bit of speed. And, you know, I did a ton of interviews and wrote some articles and stuff and, um, you know, got some got the word out there, got some nice feedback from people and uh now finally things have kind of cooled off uh which is nice um you know publishing traditional publishing is so different from self-publishing um but there are a lot of similarities i mean you still kind of do a, a ton of interviews and do you know your marketing stuff to your list and all of that but you're working with this much bigger machine and that has some challenges and it also um you know, makes things more powerful at times. So yeah, it's been a wild ride. Well, having a traditional publisher did not remove the chuckle factor and your cleverness in your writing. <laughs> Thank it was you. more on display than ever before. I mean, I, I there was a section in the preface of mm-hmm. how to be everything. And you were talking about asking people to do some hard things along the way that may or may not include making lists, throwing tantrums, researching strange <laughs> combinations of words. And I was reading this, I know you very well, and I was mm-hmm. I was hearing you actually say those words too, as opposed to thinking like, somebody else has filtered Emily's essence mm-hmm. out of what this is. If anything, you were more filtered in and more tuned uh-huh. in to this than anything else that I've experienced, which was super neat. And I think that that actually speaks to my editor because she was constantly pushing me to be more voicey, like throwing more little tidbits and personal examples and um, like sassy language. And like, <laughs> so I feel like I, I, you know, that it's it's great to have a team that wants that. And um, yeah, I feel like if anything, I, I like my first few drafts were a little bit too professional. And she was like, more voiciness, bring it in, like, bring more of yourself into this. And I was like, all right. <laughs> so, Is this been a theme? Not to say that I think you're kind of like me, where you want people to think about you professionally, but not necessarily mm-hmm. as a professional. Mm-hmm. In other words, you want people to respect you, but not take you too seriously at the same time as well and you have in addition to your journey of with your ted talk in 2015 and now this book in 2017 and a whole lot of things in between and then after that you have been gradually kind of getting outside although you're much better known now and much more influential Mm -hmm. than you ever have been but knowing where you are actually physically and how Mm -hmm. you're on a remote (laughs) island off of vancouver british columbia do you find yourself being taken out more of the mainstream or of where a lot of people are as a result of the kind of work that you're doing? Or those two things aren't really tied together in any significant way? Hmm. Do you mean like, you know, like the regular people who have regular jobs? Well, I guess that's one way to interpret it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I feel like my choice to move to a remote island had a lot to do with my work and just kind of being connected digitally speaking um, and being an introvert and needing a bit of space and a bit of a break and more nature. Um, And it balances my workout really nicely now. It's interesting, right? Because I've met a whole bunch of new people moving to this island and the community is great. Um, but definitely when people ask me what I do and people are like, what are you doing on the island? Cause like, there aren't that many jobs on this little island. And, um, and I'm always like, okay, how do I explain this? Or like, how do I, sometimes I'm like, how do I make this sound more boring? Because <laughs> if, if I tell people what I do, it's going to be like a 20 minute conversation. And sometimes I'm not <laughs> in the mood to get into it, but, um, yeah, it's definitely very outside of the norm for a lot of people. Um, and then to speak to what you were saying about being professional and also kind of retaining my, my voice. And I, I'm like a pretty casual person. Like I definitely want to be taken seriously and, uh, I want to do things professionally, but, um, 
I don't want to ever lose my uniqueness or, you know, my own sense of my own like aesthetics or like sense of design or taste or the, I don't know, the way of, that I like to express myself. So um, that hasn't necessarily been hard. There have been times, I guess, like speaking engagements, times when I feel like, oh, okay, this is like a corporate thing. Do I need to kind of be more profesh, you know, but often people hire me because they want me to be me that, you know, they saw my Ted talk, which is very me. So yeah, it's, it's a balance and it's been, it's been interesting. You're the first person I've ever heard say profesh as a deviation <laughs> of professional. That's fantastic. It just shows how non-professional I am. <laughs> <laughs> that speaks to your folksy craftsiness that I would mm. say. Actually, I don't say that. I just thought folksy <laughs> is one of the things that I think about when I think about you. I don't know if that's huh. a compliment or you're like, Folks- huh, I'll take folksy. it. Okay, sure, Joel. But there's a craftiness, not mm. in terms of like being maniacal behind the scenes, but like you have a level of resourcefulness and, and craftiness about you, like an artistic vibe mm. that I think shows through pretty well, whether you're speaking, whether you're writing, whether you're on video, that's always been something that's drawn me toward you and that I've seen be consistent mm. over the last six plus years that I've been in your orbit. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I'm just uh turned off by the generic a lot of the times. And um, not that I'm, I try and be, crafty just to be crafty I think it's I don't know something innate um and maybe also speaks to my backgrounds and like arts and the art scene and you know, that world what is your background when you say, talk about the art scene where have you come and uh, art is such a broad category <laughs> in the first place but where have you gone in the art scene I mean I guess I'm thinking about like Montreal which is where I grew up and playing in bands and being around a lot of like weirdos and artists and creative people. And how did that show up? Can you give us an example of weird people doing arty type things <laughs> that you've been involved in where people would look at you, kind of scrunch their face up? Like, really? That well, I, I feel like I never got too much. Uh, no one really gave me a hard time about it because I was in that environment. You know, the scene in Montreal is like pretty artsy, pretty hip. Um, like in film school, you know, I would produce these short films and we'd have like a crew of us and, you know, some of us would be doing camera work, some would be doing um, art design, some would be actors and I'd be kind of like directing usually and, um, and then I would help my friends on their films and there are various different artistic projects over the years. Um, it's a good place for for that kind of thing. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I, I in high school, like I went to a tiny alternative school, um, which was basically a school for people who didn't fit in or didn't want to fit in in regular high school. So there were like nerds and stoners and sometimes people who were both. <laughs> and uh, Did and, you have to be one of the two? Was there a third option? No, you didn't have to be. And some people didn't readily fit into either category. But um, sure. yeah, it was kind of like... Like, like I, I know you don't watch television, but like Freaks and Geeks, if you just had those two groups kind of coming together. Um, and it was a great, I loved, I actually loved high school. Um, lots of independence and yeah, and not very cliquey. And so I, I don't know, I just kind of, I feel like I have a little bit of that like punk, like background inside of me, even though it doesn't come out a ton. Um, One of these days you'll convince me to watch Freaks and Geeks. It's just <laughs> you would love it. Of time. I'm sure, I'm sure I would. It totally sounds like my scene. Just the the glowing screens that provide uh, audio and video at the same time, aka movies or TV shows. Yeah, not really something that I do too much yeah. these days. I want to go back to something that you said, though, because you mentioned being a director in some of these uh, productions that you were putting mm-hmm. on in high school. And you've described yourself as a creative director in other places that I've seen you be. Is that is that role, director, what is it about that title or that role that even for 20 years running now, it seems like has been a place that you either find yourself or a place that you put yourself. Hmm. I'm, I'm an Aries, which supposedly were supposed were these like fiery leaders. And for many years I was like, that's not me. Like I'm quiet. I'm introverted. Like I'm totally, I don't know what that's about, but I've come to realize that I I'm sort of like, um, like a, a leader of weirdos in different 
different spaces and I've kind of been this like even as a kid I was you know like not popular but I would like organize like gymnastics events in the park and like all these like like uh like a neighborhood newspaper and like um I don't know if it's that I like I don't, I don't think I like being in control I think I just have these like visions for projects and the easiest way to make that happen is to kind of bring people together and to make it happen instead of looking for it because often you can't really find what you're looking for out in the world because it's like it's a weird idea um so I sort of fall into that role I don't think I particularly like like managing people um I just kind of want to see different creative visions come to light and so that and and yeah it's you know, I, I describe myself now as a creative director as opposed to a CEO because creative director just sounds so much cooler to me. Like, <laughs> see, like that, <laughs> I just don't have like the corporate background or like, I don't know. I f- and I also feel like meeting random people on the island. Oh, like I'm the CEO of blah, blah, blah. Like it's just, it's just not me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, your vision, do you always have a vision for the things that you try or do you just attempt to do something and experiment and just think this sounds rad. I'm totally going to do it. I have no idea what this might look like or where it might go. I'm just going to do it for, for these big projects that you've done. And this mm-hmm. is kind of hard to generalize, but are you somebody who always has this kind of cl- not necessarily clear, but mm-hmm. possibilities like what could be possible if I were to try to record a music album in a month with my best friend mm-hmm. or something else of that nature? Like, is there always a visitor associated with it? Or sometimes you just flying by the seat of your pants because it seems like a darn good time Mm -hmm. um often there's a vision but not always sometimes i'm just kind of drawn to something and we talk about this a lot in the putty like community but i'm just kind of become curious about something and i start learning about it and then often it turns into a project and then the vision comes but um yeah like i took a chemistry class a couple years ago just because i was kind of interested and wanted to know more didn't take it in high school and I just thought what the heck let's give this a try it seems like a fun challenge and um so it does happen but yeah I definitely I think I gravitate towards like project-based work where there's like an outcome and like a deliverable I just wrote a blog post about this too it's like I think it's a multi-potentialite thing to be into projects because you can just like accomplish this awesome project and then it's over and you can move on and do something else. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I definitely get pulled to things just randomly sometimes and see where that goes to. Most of your projects are either short duration or fairly mm-hmm. short lived though. What drew you to take on a traditionally published book? Cause that's like a two year process by the time you, I don't even know all the things that go into it. I've, I've only self-published before, but I know I've heard. Yeah. Um, and after all the marketing is done too, I mean, this is a huge commitment. So why mm. were you drawn to something that big in the first place? Yeah. So a few years ago, I was thinking about my work at Putty Like, and I was like, okay, what, how could I have the biggest impact? Like, how could I get this idea that it's okay to do and be many things? How can I get that out there in the world in the biggest possible way? And I thought, okay, a TED Talk and a book. (laughs) And um, I was like, all right. So the TED Talk came first. Um, For that, I just, you know, I applied to a nearby TEDx event, got that, did a, you know, worked really hard. When it came out, I did what I could to get it to go viral. That happened. And then I kind of used that as a way to, not exclusively, but like, you know, it helped me get the book deal because it was like, there is a market for this clearly because it's gotten a few million views. Um, and then kind of moved forward. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy actually how well this whole plan worked out in my head. I was like, okay, do the TED talk and I'll turn that into a book, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I just like, yeah, I had this like big vision for this long-term thing and in terms of writing the book, having, like, I, I worked on it kind of casually for a few years. And then when I got the book deal, I was like, all right, time to kind of get into gear and make this thing happen. Um, because I had a deadline and I had sub, like, small deadlines, you know, like a chapter was due a few weeks 
after I got the book deal and the whole thing was due eight months later and I had someone waiting on me and that really helped. Um, I also, it just, it was a hard thing to do. I mean, you know, writing a book is, is hard and I like challenges. I don't usually get bored if I'm feeling challenged. So there was that. Um, and then there's like a lot of different things that go into it. So there's the writing, then there's the editing, then there's like all the marketing. And um, so it felt like there was a lot of different things happening and that variety was really important. I think it's pretty important for multi-potentialites in general. Um, so it, yeah, I never felt, I mean, if I stepped back and, and thought about it, I was like, okay, this is a huge project. It's terrifying, but you know, got the book deal, got someone waiting on me, got to make this happen. So like, let's do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it was never boring. (laughs) That's for sure. Well, you say you think variety is a big deal. You know, variety is a big deal for multi-potentialites. It was one of the three primary (laughs) components of a fulfilling multi-potentialite life in your book, money, Mm -hmm. meaning, and variety. Break that down for folks who are listening. I totally get it, obviously. Mm -hmm. I've been a self-identified multi-potentialite for years, and some people may have zero of those. Some people may have one, Mm -hmm. and this is kind of the holy grail of Mm -hmm. building a life around all of your interests, money, meaning, and variety. Mm -hmm. Why do you focus on those three things? So for for the book, I decided I was going to interview a ton of multi-potentialites who self-described as being both happy and financially comfortable. I think I did about 50 interviews and then I sent out a couple surveys on top of that. Um, And I started to notice, like, even though people had all these different jobs in so many different industries, there were these commonalities. And everyone I spoke to seemed to have adequate or, like, the right levels of money, meaning, and variety. So as far as money goes... Um, the amount we require is different from person to person. Clearly, some of us are very frugal. Others have more expensive tastes or a lot of responsibilities. But it's important to kind of get clear on your financial goals. And, um, you know, to be a multi-potentialite, it isn't like, on the one hand, I get to be a multi-potentialite, but then I'm, I, I have to starve to do that. Or I can make a lot of money and then I don't get to be like, that's, I think what a lot of people think when they discover this whole idea, they're like, okay, I have to choose between money and multi-potentiality. And that's not the case. Um, so money is, is important. It isn't everything, but it, it matters. Um, and it also empowers us to pursue our, our many projects and to, you know, pursue all these different opportunities. Um, when it comes to meaning, so what we don't want is for you to have a career where you get to do you have a bunch of like odd jobs, you're making money, you're doing a lot of different things, but you don't really care about anything that you're doing. So this just means like this, a sense that you are, you know, making a difference in some way, you're doing something that matters. And it's not like everything that you're into needs to be deeply meaningful, but just like overall, you have this feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm doing good in the world. And then variety, this is the one that I don't think is unique to multi-potentialites, but it's definitely more of a requirement for us. And the thing that gets overlooked a lot, I think, in the conventional career world. Um, And, of course, with variety, it is possible to have too much variety. So if you don't have enough variety, you're going to feel bored and you're going to feel like you're not getting to express the, the breadth of who you are. But if you have too much variety, you'll feel scattered and overwhelmed. So it's about figuring out like what that amount, what that right amount is for you. Do you thrive when you have like three different projects on your plate or four or five? And then like maybe add like a sixth, then you're like totally overwhelmed. Or maybe that number is much higher or much lower. And that's something that you kind of figure out over time as you try different things and add more projects into your life and pay attention to how you're feeling. Um, yeah. So those are kind of the, the three like key elements that I see um, for multi-potentialites who are feeling really good about their careers and about their lives. They all kind of have those things um, figured out. I know you have tons of case studies and mm-hmm. tons of examples in the book about people who found 
money, meaning, and variety. And we'll talk in just a little bit about the four main multi-potentialate friendly work models. Mm-hmm. But as you think of somebody who's just totally nailing it, they've got these three things mm-hmm. in spades. Is there someone who pops into your head right away or because it's so strange that they were able to do that in terms of what their life circumstances and set of constraints are? Hmm. I mean, there are definitely people that I interviewed who have kind of moved through. We're going to talk about the work models. There are people who have kind of moved through the different work models and tried different things out and kind of come out with their own customized version of this. I'm trying to think if I can think of anyone specific. I'm going to definitely bring up some examples as we talk about the different work models. Well, let's do that. Let's just, okay. let's talk about those things. Cause this is super sure. important. I mean, the start of it is fairly philosophical, super practical as well. One of the things that I personally enjoyed about the book is how many questions that you pose to people, like not just maybe you should answer this question in 10 years, but seriously <laughs> think about and answer this question. Now it's going to help. And at the end of each chapter, all these practical exercises Mm. and activities that you had that was super cool so the four main multi-potentialite work models that you know work really well depending on who you are we've got the group hug the slash approach the einstein approach and the phoenix approach before we kind of get into the details of those maybe just a a quick little overview like of what each one is at the high level mm-hmm. and then we'll get into each one and how it's yeah. practiced, who somebody is that's just totally rocking it. Totally. Um, so these were models that I, I saw coming up as I was talking with people. Cause I was like, you know, I can't really say like you should become an architect, right? Like, because that works for some people and doesn't work for others. And I was meeting multi-potentialites who were like, like, I interviewed a surgeon, which seems like a very specialized job. You wouldn't think multi-potentialite, but he was totally a multi-potentialite, had all these like amazing artistic pursuits and this incredible artistic practice outside of work. And um, and so I was like, okay, I can't make a list of like the 10 best jobs for multi-potentialites because people are um, kind of breaking those rules all the time. But I'm noticing that there are some similarities here. So I kind of broke it up into these four models. So the first one is the group hug approach. And I know that you're a fan, Joel. Um, And this is where you combine many interests and skills into one job or business. And it's basically like you've got a project, a work project that lets you wear many different hats and do a lot of different things. Um, so people who use the group hug approach often will work in an interdisciplinary field. Um, I have a, there's a great quote in the book with an urban planner where she like describes all the different things that she does and it goes on and on and on. Um, and there are a lot of fields like this, like, you know, things like AI and, um, instructional design and publishing and marketing and where you get to to do a good job you really need to wear many different hats and have an understanding of a bunch of other areas um so that's the group hug approach the second one is the slash approach and this is where instead of combining your interests you keep them separate and distinct uh, and you've got two or more part-time jobs and or businesses that you kind of flip between on a regular basis so this is someone who's like the programmer slash teacher slash stand-up comedian, right? So you're not necessarily combining things and you can just kind of move between your different projects and you get variety that way. Um, and people who use the slash approach find that the it's really the part-time nature of their work that's very important. Like they, they often, they usually enjoy each one of their slashes for a different reason, but wouldn't want to do any one of them full-time. I thought that was interesting. Um, And then we've got the Einstein approach. And I called it this because Albert Einstein worked at the patent office for many years. So he was basically employed by the government. He had this very stable, secure day job with benefits, um, took care of all of his financial needs. And then he developed his theories on the side. He was not paid for them. So this is where you've got what author Barbara Sher calls a good enough job. It could also be a business. Um, It's something that pays the bills, that is maybe lucrative. Um, You should still enjoy it. It shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't hate your work. Um, But then it also leaves you with enough free time and energy to pursue your many passions outside of work. Um, 
And then we've got the Phoenix Approach. And the, the Phoenix Approach is like someone who dives into a field for a longer period of time, often five to ten years. And at a certain point, they feel like, okay, like I got what I came for. I'm ready for a new adventure. And then they'll start a new career in a new field, and they'll make that transition. And often, Phoenixes will kind of develop that new thing on the side for a while first, just to make that trans- transition a little bit smoother, look for some opportunities, gain some skills. Um, and I, of course, I called it this because like the phoenix is this mythical creature that lives a glorious life, and then at the end of its life, it bursts into flames and is reborn from the ashes. So it's kind of like the, the metaphor there. I love the imagery. <laughs> Thank you. And it's also possible to be a hybrid between these models um, and to mix and match these and to customize them. I'm a group hugger slash slasher slash Einstein. That would be kind of funny to say. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a I, mouthful. Before I came up with the, the, the word, like the Phoenix approach, I was calling it um, the serial approach, which is like less fun. Um, but someone commented on a blog post and she was like, I'm a serial slasher. And I was like, I don't know if that really works. That, that doesn't sound very good. No. Oh, that's a good thing. Maybe I should think about that, uh, <laughs> those words. <laughs> well, you're so good at coming up with these things, like the group hug approach, which is my approach. Really, anything that has the word hug in it, I'm sold. Just yeah. stop right there <laughs> because I love hugs so much. And really, I'm I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Full disclosure, everybody, I have group hugged my roles within the Putty Tribe as the guy who has been running it for the past 18 months. Uh, and I just, for me, I could do a whole bunch of different things in all these different areas. I had a good enough job for a long time, mm-hmm. and it, it just didn't work out for me. I don't really see myself as a phoenix, but being able to be in nerdy spreadsheets and have other people actually look at them and use them, which is thrilling to me. Anytime somebody <laughs> opens up my spreadsheet, I'm like, yes! They're totally going to sort on this column and get exactly what they need. Uh, putting together procedures and doing team building and strategizing and having mm-hmm. all of the extrovert time that I need to lead what we call huddles, you know, two to 10 people of a, in a video conference setting where sometimes it's for new members, sometimes it's just a community, anything goes, other times it's themed. I just love that aspect of being mm-hmm. able to have all of these different interests and skills and just have them all embracing in this all one big glorious hug and have that all within one role. Like for me, yeah. that is the thing. And I'm really super excited that I have that now. But for a lot of other people, they're thinking, eh, doesn't really sound mm-hmm. like my idea of a good time, which is cool mm-hmm. that they've got a slash approach, an Einstein approach, and a Phoenix approach as well. Mm-hmm. Was there maybe a fourth and a half or a fifth approach that didn't quite make it into a book? Or maybe after you wrote the core thing, you've seen another approach kind of rising up to the surface where you think, mm-hmm. that seems viable as well. Not really. If anything, I'm noticing more and more hybrids. So like people who have a good enough job, they're using the Einstein approach, but that good enough job is like a little multifaceted. So it's kind of a bit of a group hug Um, or someone who's doing the slash approach, but one of their slashes is like a Renaissance business where they get to do a lot of different things. And like, so I, you know, I I noticed that a lot more than the four, the the half, four and a half. (laughs) Okay. Well, one of the things that you're great is, is not trying to put people into a small little box and keep them in there. Mm-hmm. I know you have a, sometimes a, an issue with labels in terms of how they're applied. Like I'm a this, or I do this kind of thing. Uh, and I guess some of that stems from just how people treat us. It's really nice and clean to say, well, I'm one, a multi-potentialite. If you don't know what that is, let me tell you all about <laughs> it. And two, the work approach that I have is called a group hug. I know, it's as lovely as it sounds. (laughs) These things are all pretty clean. And a lot of it, in terms of just simplifying it down, is we almost have to do that. Because there's a lot of folks who, if you don't do that, if you're constantly bouncing around, they'll just roll their eyes at you or Mm -hmm. uh, not want to associate with you because you're not this clean, cookie-cutter kind of person Mm -hmm. like a lot of other people are. It kind of speaks to something. There was a chapter about fear and confidence and, and folks who just plain don't get it. Uh, guilt, shame, that goes along with, oh, what's it going to be today? Or just being viewed as a flake, somebody mm-hmm. who can't stick to a career or a path. 
how's that shown up for you? Um, guilt and shame with people telling you, you know, oh, it's oh music, it's film, it's law, it's <laughs> this putty-like thing. Yeah. How, how's that felt over the course of your life? And do you deal with these things that are just very human feelings, guilt and shame? Do you, do mm-hmm. you feel like you deal with them better now than you have mm-hmm. at other points? Yeah. Um, so growing up, it caused me a lot of anxiety. I mean, I definitely, I didn't really know what was going on with me. And I would become interested in something and I'd be like, oh, I found my thing. Like, I'm going to be a musician. And then after a few years, I kind of start to lose interest in pursuing that as a career. And I'd become interested in something else. And I'd be like, okay, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore because this is like the identity that I put on myself that I kind of projected out into the world. And I would have these little existential crises every time I would change directions. Um, and then, yeah, dealing with other people on top of that. And I think now that I realize I'm a multi-potentialite and this is kind of what we do and I learn something through each pursuit and I, I apply my skills laterally, like so many of the things that I learned when I was studying communications and film and music and web design. I mean, I use a lot of those skills now in my work. Um, so nothing was really feels like a waste of time because I, I always... I mean, usually enjoyed myself and learned something and um, often it ended up being very um, practical, just in a really different way than I would have assumed. Um, yeah, so I think for me, like learning about my multipotentiality and how to talk about it has really helped me feel more confident. And I, I don't really feel that guilt or shame very much. Sometimes I do. And it's like, it's more like, you know, I'm, I've got like a business partner or something and I'm not feeling it anymore and I want to move in a new direction. I'm like, oh, how is this going to impact them? And, or, you know, like, like I stopped doing coaching a couple of years ago and I know that people, some people were a little disappointed, but it just, I was being moved, being pulled in other directions. Um, yeah, I think that as you, come to embrace your multipotentiality and, and understand it, it becomes much easier to talk about it and to um, feel more confident. And also I think people can sense if you're feeling insecure or if you've, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm trying this new thing, but I'm, I'm not sure if I should or, and you like make apologies for it. And, and just like in the way you talk about it. And they, they t- I think people tend to ask about things more if they can sense there's something there, but if you just like confidently or even like fake it until you make it style, like share all of the things you're super passionate about right now and you do that with enthusiasm, like no one's, I mean, people shouldn't be like, oh, but blah, 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 blah. Like often people respond in the same way and they're like, oh, wow, that sounds cool. Tell me more. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of about how you roll it out, I think. Confidence and enthusiasm are pretty big, but even if you have that, and even if you express that, and mm-hmm. people see that that's just part of your makeup, we're still living in a world that doesn't necessarily value multipotentiality. Sure, and your book is catered towards people who want to find work in in this identity as a multipotentialite. Yet most people are still employed by somebody else, and a lot of those are large corporations. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally playing devil's advocate here. Yeah, I know that I have to, but let's say I'm an employer. At a large company, why would I want to hire a multipotentialite for a job and have mm-hmm. to constantly wonder when they're going to get bored or find <laughs> something better and, of course, eventually quit on me right. when I could theoretically have a more predictable, longer-lasting, non-multipotentialite? Mm-hmm. Well, if you want some creativity and innovation and some new life and new ideas um, in, in the business, then a multipotentialite's a good way to go. Also we can handle a lot of different tasks. Like I love that you get to do a lot of different things because then I don't have to go, you know, like you're, you work at putty like or whatever. And I don't need to go find one person to do our uh, processes and one person to like manage the team and another person to lead huddles. You know, I can just be like, Joel, do you have any interest in doing this thing? And a, a lot of the times you're like, yeah, that sounds amazing. 
Um, or, or sometimes you come to me and you're like, I would love to do this thing. Here's an idea for the business that I, I think would you know help our community grow. And um, I'm like, go for it. And I think this is the strategy a lot of multi-potentialites use when they're working at um, in kind of the more corporate setting as instead of going to their employer being like, hey, I've got all these other all these different skills I'd like to integrate into my work, they come up with really interesting projects that will help the business, help it grow, help it run more smoothly, and they'll pitch it in terms of what it can do for the employer, which is what I encourage people to do. Um, and also, multi-potentialites are skilled. Like, there's this idea that either you're a specialist and you're really good at one thing, or you're kind of crappy at everything. And the truth is that multi-potentialites are usually very good at several things. So often a multi-potentialite will get in the door at a company, not by being like, I can do all these different things, but by really highlighting the thing that their employer, potential employer is looking for and kind of getting in the door with that one skill set and then maybe pitching some different ideas and bring integrating their other skills. Um, so multi-potentialites do great work. They're super creative. They're fast learners. Um, they work well on teams. I mean, you know, this doesn't, it's obviously like I'm generalizing, but this is kind of what I see. And uh, I like working with multi-potentialites. That said, there are maybe some roles where specialists are better suited and other roles that are better for multi-potentialites. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I like the, the broad skill set and just being able to communicate in all facets of your life, whether it's your life partner, your business partner, or any kind of work that you're doing in your neighborhood, that you are more than just the thing that you normally see me show up as. Mm -hmm. That's just a little slice of what I got. I got so much <laughs> more to give and do, baby. Just got to ask. Just mm -hmm. ask me some questions about what my experiences or expertise are. And that's a word that I see a lot of multi-potentialites shy away from is expertise. There's a lot of imposter syndrome that goes on mm -hmm. that you and I both see firsthand too. And it's okay to own your gifts and your experience and your, and your expertise and to say that you have it. Just because you like a lot of things and you're good at a lot of things doesn't mean that you don't just totally rock mm -hmm. at a number of them as well. Yeah. And I think sometimes, like, I have noticed myself doing this too, where you, like, you don't want to share everything that you're into or good at because it feels like you're good at a lot of things. And you don't want to seem like you're bragging or, like, maybe you're like, okay, am I actually as good as I think I am? And, like, am I, you know, like, I don't know. So I, I think that's pretty common to not want to seem like you're bragging. Um, you just to have not... to start a sentence with, I don't mean to brag. Right, but, there you go. I mean, once you start it with that, then everything that le is after that is just totally cool. No one's going to think that you have a giant ego. Mm -hmm. Let's practice it together. I don't mean to brag, but... I don't mean to brag, but... <laughs> Do you have anything in particular that's come up recently where you're like, I'm really freaking good at this thing? Do you don't have any, do you have any, I don't mean to brag, but. I mean, often when I'm meeting people on the island and I'm talking about my work, I, I kind of downplay it, like the book and the TED Talk. Like, I don't, I, I'm not like, oh, I have a, ooh, I have a TED Talk with almost 5 million views. Like, I, I don't, I don't usually drop things like that. <laughs> Sometimes other people will, will bring it up and that's fine. Um, and then, then I get the thing where people like, don't really know what I do and think I'm like kind of a joker, which I don't like either. <laughs> so it's about finding that balance. I was thinking you were going to say something like, I don't mean to brag, but I do an excellent job whenever the word karaoke is uttered. Oh yeah. I, it's true. I really, I, I but I, I love talking about karaoke, so yeah. But I, I well, never say, like, I'm amazing at karaoke. I just, I, I really enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. And from what I understand, you're quite good at it. We'll get karaoke mm -hmm. together someday. I'm sure of that. I would love to karaoke with you. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just thinking of the songs now. Okay, stay on target. Stay on target. I'm back with you. And we're good. One thing that I feel that I've seen you're really good at is how one skill set or batch of experiences transferred positively to 
a seemingly disconnected realm. Like you're really good at making those connection points between A to F without mm-hmm. having to have someone linear layout B, C, D, E in between those things. And one of the examples, I, I believe this was in How to Be Everything, you were talking about a, a tour guide. Somebody was trying to vie for a tour guide position and they were mm-hmm. playing up their experience as a children's, like their experience at children's daycare, wrangling large groups of kids mm-hmm. and keeping their attention. Was that something that was in there? Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, this is a strategy that multi-potentialites use and it's to stress your transferable skills and to kind of, if you're, you know, vying for a job that is in a new field, you don't have much experience. If you can connect it to the stuff you've done in the past and you can show how all of those experiences are going to be relevant and helpful to the task at hand and make you, you know, right for that position, um, that can be really powerful. So yeah, I think wrangling groups of kids, um, could be, uh, you know, a a good skill for someone who's, who wants to become a tour guide. I also interviewed a woman who, she worked in a lot of different areas, like a lot of health education stuff. And, um, she was up for, um, a job as a paralegal, which she had zero experience in. And so she talked about, her transferable skills, things like meeting tight deadlines and working with emotional clients, things like that, that could be really helpful um, in this new setting. So, I just, I want to go on to a round of questions and challenges. <laughs> How did that help me prepare for insert thing here? Uh, you want to try one? I just thought of one. Oh, geez. Okay, go. This yeah. is a hard one. You ready? Sure. Okay. How... When I was at the Royal Bank of Canada in mm-hmm. their wealth management subsidiary, how did transferring rich people's money around the world and reconciling corporate bank activity in, my, in that old financial services role, how did that prepare me to become a good podcast host? Hmm. Well, you probably had to be pretty organized. Um, you, you're better equipped to answer this because I don't really know what a wealth management person does. Yeah, I barely know what it is. Too. I've, kind of, I've kind of forgotten most of that. Okay, I just thought we'd have a little bit of fun. And you're right, there yeah. were a lot of context clues that were missing. That was kind of an unfair question. <laughs> but I can look at my own history and talk about how things have been useful. I mean, there are a lot of design things that come up at Putty Like and the Putty Tribe from time to time. And I used to build websites and get paid for that. So sometimes I hire a designer. Other times I'm like, ah, I'm just going to do this myself. Like with the new Putty Tribe platform that we did. Yeah. Um, little things like in film school, you learn about like first semester kind of thing. You learn about the rule of thirds, which is if you divide a screen up into three vertically and horizontally, those are the focal points. Like that makes a frame more, an image more interesting. If you put the thing you want to focus at, at those points. And I still think about that when I, I don't know, edit any image that I'm going to put on social media or on the blog or make a video. I'm always thinking about like framing and different lighting techniques sometimes and just little things like that. Well, we are coming towards the end of our time together. Sad, Mm. but temporary. I'm sure there'll be around three someday uh, for Smart and Simple Matters. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like people to know? I guess I always like to end with this kind of, with this. And it's that if you think you might be a multi-potentialite, that can be kind of a a daunting, it, it, it can be both exciting and a little bit daunting when you come to that realization um, but I think it's really important for multi-potentialites to embrace their plurality and see where that goes. So many of us fight it and try and fit ourselves into boxes and specialize, and it's it doesn't it's not really a good fit for us. And I really feel like our gifts come out a lot more when we embrace our, our many passions and we kind of see where where that takes us. And it also I think is good for society. I think that there'd be a lot more um, creativity and innovative ideas if, if people started to 
be more okay with doing different things and stepping outside of their roles and bringing ideas from one field to a totally new field. And yeah, I think there's, there's a lot that's possible there. So if you think you might be a multi-potentialite, um, embrace it, I guess. Or if anyone has ever said interdisciplinary or scanner or polymath mm-hmm. or hummingbird or renaissance soul or any of these things there's a good chance that you're multi-potentialite well where would you like people to find you and explore more online or offline yeah people can head over to puttylike.com p-u-t-t-y-l-i-k-e if they want just kind of a whole bunch of resources for multi-potentialites like 500 blog posts and some good stuff Um, and then if you want to learn more about how to be everything, the book, you can just go to howtobeeverything.com. Yeah. And if you want to hang out with both me and Emily at the same time, come to the Putty Tribe. It's our private community, serious support and inspiration for Mm -hmm. multi-potentialites. Total shameless plug, but I got to do it because a lot of people, we get all these people come in all the time and they're like, I had no idea this thing existed. How come I didn't know about this years ago? Boom. Now you know. Come play with us if you like, everyone. It's an uh, awesome community. I mean, I just have so much fun in there. People are so nice, so much creativity and like really helpful people who like, I don't know, someone posts a problem that they're having or something in their career and then they get a bunch of replies. Everyone's so thoughtful. I love the Putty Tribe. Me too. Well, there's a whole world of putty waiting for people, whether it's with putty-like or how to be everything or the putty tribe. Um, I'm thrilled to be such a big part of the world of putty, too. Thank you for allowing me inside and to give me all the opportunities to have fun and have the money, meaning, and variety that I crave and finally have as well. That's a huge gift, and I'm just grateful for your role in that. Well, the feeling is absolutely mutual. You make my life so much easier and so much more fun. Oh, huge virtual hug coming in right <laughs> now. Yeah. All right. Now you have a better understanding of how to find money, meaning, and variety as a multi-potentialite. Which work model are you doing right now? Or maybe planning to pursue the group hug, like me? Maybe a few slashes here and there, having your Einstein-style good enough job? Or I thought I heard somebody say, burn, baby, burn, Phoenix Inferno. Well, maybe not a Phoenix Inferno, just a Phoenix. You can find links to all the stuff we spoke about, topic timestamps, takeaways, and more in the show notes at joelzeslowski.com slash SASM119. You'll also see information in the show notes about how to support me, this show, and our community at joelzeslowski.com slash support. If you got something out of this episode or just generally dig the show, share it. People depend on you to point them to the good stuff, and I am always grateful when you show some love by talking about what we're building here together. Who knows what's next? Maybe we'll co-create some magic in the putty tribe as well. You've just listened to the Smart and Simple Matters podcast with Joel Zeslowski. Now go simplify something. Hug someone or get your sexy spreadsheet on.